0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man whom Greg Baalter did not confirm will start against Mexico tonight. It's not Sajino Dest, it's Taylor Rockwell. (laughs) Hello.
1: Hello. It did feel. Like a personal attack when he went out of his way to say Taylor Rockwell will not yeah. be starting. but no one Des will. I know. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't seem like information that needed to be volunteered.
0: Yeah. Well, you have a big game on Sunday. That's so. true.
1: He wanted me to rest up. <laughs> he sent me home from camp without go. ever calling me in.
0: So we're going to listen to questions today. We are. Um, in advance of obviously watching USA Mexico tonight. But there's been U.S. men's national team news, which is Perhaps. in Berhalter's press conference, he was asked, will Sergino Des start? Mm-hmm. And Berhalter straight up said yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's the candid approach that Greg Berhalter occasionally takes. And occasionally, it's why, yeah. And it's why it seems to be he's viewed as like a breath of fresh air because he'll talk about those types of things yeah, there are when he feels of, like it. There are a lot of non-answers, uh-huh. and a
0: lot of very diplomatic answers. Yes. So, yeah, sometimes he's like a politician, right? Mm-hmm. But this time he was like, no, I'm for gun control.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he went for it. Uh, and then in this case, I think while he made that announcement, he was also burning an orange shirt. Is that, what he's, is that what he did as well to try to really get that point across?
0: Yeah, I mean, so for people who don't know, if Sergio Dest starts, mm-hmm. when Sergio Dest starts mm-hmm. for the U.S. tonight against Mexico, at right back, left back, left wing, right wing or centre midfield. One um, of those. He will get a US cap. Mm-hmm. He will not be cap-tied. He will not. He cannot be cap-tied until October when we're playing the CONCACAF Nations League, which is an you know, official FIFA competition. Mm-hmm. So there's still the opportunity for Dest to play against Mexico, play against Uruguay. And then the Netherlands could say hey, Serginio, what are you doing in October? Yep, And they could call him up for a Euro 2020 qualifier.
1: And I'll just go ahead and jump. We've got some scouting reports to get to, oh. obviously very much later in the show. Yeah, yeah. But the very first one comes from Brian Hoysa, scouting Serginio Desti, oh, the year old American. Oh, scouting report ever on the show. Yeah, it is. Um, while in camp with the US men's national team, Desk dropped some quotes that leave the door open to representing the Netherlands in the future. Desk said, quote, I'm happy for this opportunity and I'm happy that I'm here right now, but I don't know for the future. You guys will see what happens, end quote. Then when asked if he'd accept a call up to October's Nations, League matches, which would, as you said, captie him. He responded, "Yeah." He responded, "quote I don't know yet. I can't make that decision." End quote.
0: I mean, has he ever been to Cuba?
1: <laughs> it's a lovely place, unless you're playing soccer there, in which case it's less. Yeah, the field wasn't great. Not so much. No. Havana Yeah. So, I mean, which, like, to me, that says basically, if the Netherlands come calling and offer him a strong route to the first team, I feel like he's going to take that. Um, and I, I guess I can't really begrudge him as much as I would like to, because born in the Netherlands, raised in the Netherlands. Even though he's been with the U.S. throughout, the I would be very sad. Done everything possible. But that's the thing: is like it's not a situation in which they've messed it up. They haven't called him in. They haven't given him chances. I think he was surprised, but from what I've read, to even get a call up to the senior national team at this point, really, I'm guessing he'll be even more. Does surprised. Does he not know that he's been starting for IHX? I know, right? No, he <laughs> he said like it was a nice surprise when Greg Berhalter called me two okay. weeks ago or something right. like that. I don't that. think
0: he means surprised literally.
1: I don't know. Either way, he said the word surprised, okay. so I'm going to take him at his word. Uh, but I so I feel like this is a case where they've they've played him at youth level, they've taken him to competitions, he's been yeah, involved. He's Cup, they've brought up. They've brought him into the senior national team. Now they're going to be starting him. I feel like they have done everything they possibly can to say, you are a valued and important part of this team and you will be going forward. But it's up to him what he wants to do. Do you want my hot take? Sure.
0: Um, I don't think the Netherlands will like panic and call up Sergino Dest no. for the senior Netherlands team Mm-mm. at such a young age if he's not actually one of their best two right backs. I don't right. really know their depth chart so well. I know Dumfries seems to be the starting Right back, but I don't imagine that Serginho Dest is like, if you were to just completely on merit about to pick a Dutch national team, you wouldn't put him in as your starting 11 right back, right? right? He's not even guaranteed starts at Ajax, so he should be guaranteed starts for the Dutch national team. And I don't think the Netherlands is the type of nation to panic about talent enough to do an emergency call-up.
1: No, I think it's any time, and again, like you understand why he is going to have to make this decision and how that would be a very difficult choice to make. And so I think then when there's even one Dutch news story about how, hey, we like he might still be called in, we're going to lose this player, we should cap tie him. Yeah. I think it brings about a lot more uncertainty from American fans and a lot more concern from American fans. Yeah, we don't get the jitters. Yeah, but, I, <laughs> I, but I'm with you that I doubt Ronald the Koeman... The <laughs> I, I doubt, I hope Ronald Koeman is not going to be calling him in to, to start at right yeah. back for the Netherlands, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So actually the really interesting thing will
0: be not if he's called up by the Netherlands mm-hmm. and called up by the US in October, if he's only called up by the US, mm-hmm. or if he's called up by the US and the Netherlands U19s or U21s, mm-hmm. then there's a yep. Then it's a real test of do you want to do this or not. It is. Yeah.
1: And, I, and I'm, I guess my hope... Not in any way even a theory or a thing that I think. It's more of just like, I hope this is the case. Is that he is making the comments he's making now to see what happens. To try to force that hand a little bit. Maybe the Netherlands do say, yeah, you know what? Actually, we want to give you a chance at right back. And then it's kind of worked. But if they say, well, we'll see. But we want to give you some time with the U19s. Then maybe we'll move you through. Then I think maybe he knows, okay, senior opportunities here. Less senior opportunities there with a lot of other talent around. Maybe I'll go to the U.S.
0: And let's just hope he enjoys his time with the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like, let's hope he enjoys the game against Mexico yep. and against Uruguay. Let's hope he just enjoys spending time with this U.S. squad. Maybe yeah. Western McKinney's big grin will, so. will keep Sijin Udest happy.
1: I mean, that's a lot of pressure on Weston McKinney's grin, but I think it's it a very nice grin. yeah it can handle it. I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, think so.
0: so smiley in all the photos. <laughs> um, one, one extra bit of US roster news mm-hmm. before we get on to to questions. Uh, I saw, I'm, not, I'm not sure who reported it first, but I saw Doug McIntyre mm-hmm. report that between the Mexico game on Friday and the Uruguay game on Tuesday, there will be, what, five players leaving camp. Mm-hmm. So Christian Pulisic yep. is one of them, unfortunately, so he won't be playing against Uruguay. John Brooks is also one of them. I think we we were proponents of this, right? Of just bubble wrap John Brooks one game, then bubble wrap him and send him back.
1: Um, well, I, I wasn't as much until, I'll jump ahead to say two of the other ones were Zach Stefan and Alfredo Morales. Yeah, uh, worth noting back, yeah. that Dusseldorf plays Wolfsburg on Friday. Yes, yeah, so that's so, Brooks, Morales,
0: yeah. and Stefan all involved in a game on Friday. Right, so
1: yeah. I would rather players be with the camp for as long as the camp exists to get them more experience, to have them all blend a bit more. But in this case, those three players, especially going back to play on Friday, I understand why you'd let them leave a game earlier, especially because, well, I guess for Stefan and Brooks, at least, we kind of know where they are in this team. Maybe Morales we don't, and that's one where I wouldn't have minded seeing him play against yeah. Uruguay, but I also understand why he won't.
0: There's been some speculation that uh, Morales leaving early mm-hmm. means he'll start against Mexico, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure I buy. But I don't. I think it does mean he'll play.
1: I think he'll play. Yeah. I think Will Trapp is point. probably going to start. Yeah. That, that's, that would be my guess. I, I may well be wrong, and I look forward to being wrong. Uh-huh. But it, Will Trapp doing the press conference. You're to fall a- into that trap. Yes, exactly, with two Ps. Uh, <laughs> will Trapp doing the press conference, Aaron Long doing the press conference. Oh, I forgot did the press conference. Both of them will be there. And I think Greg Berhalter will be in charge, given that he also did a press conference. That
0: makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah. So maybe like 30 minutes from Morales uh, mm-hmm. towards the end. The other one we didn't talk about, uh, Sean Johnson, yeah. um, is leaving, which would leave what? Uh, so two goalkeepers going, mm-hmm. Stefan and uh, Johnson. Mm-hmm. That would leave what? Guzan, Guzan and Jessica Jesse Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. That will be interesting. Yeah. So we'll either get a youngster or an oldster. <laughs> playing against you are quite, Perfect. Maybe a half each? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, nothing else to say in the US from me because the game is coming in, what, uh, four and a half hours or so? But we can say we'll be back late Friday night, early will. Saturday morning, with our review of the U.S.'s win over Mexico in I would, New Jersey.
1: I would go ahead and guarantee it will be early Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but until then, we've still got uh, some talking to do because we've yeah. got a list of questions to, to answer. Yeah. We'll just to pass the time. Just to pass the time. <laughs> just to pass the time. Just uh, to pass the time. Why don't I ask you first? Okay. Um, Joey Jedlowski asks, why don't they show the stoppage time in the stadium like they do on TV?
0: I'm going to say two reasons. One, to avoid confusion. Mm-hmm. And two, because the stoppage time is not guaranteed. It's right. a minimum of four minutes of added time. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think if you actually put four minutes up on a clock in the stadium... The players can see it and they'd be like counting it down. Mm-hmm. The fans would be counting it down and everyone would be expecting the final whistle yep. after that, say, four minutes expired. I'm yeah. just saying it was four minutes. Um, but that's not the case, right? If there's a substitution within stoppage time, you add 30 seconds. If there's a goal, if there's some sort of stoppage within stoppage time, mm-hmm. the stoppages within stoppages, yeah. you have to add more time. And I think it would just be confusing to have. Um, an incorrect amount of time on a clock yep. in the stadium that everyone's referring to.
1: I would agree with that yep. entirely. Um, I would add that the FIFA rules dictate that it's the center official who keeps track of the timer. Officially, yeah. is in charge of the time. Yeah, not so, the stadium clock guy. No, exactly. So if you add four <laughs> minutes and then everybody gets all upset because it said four minutes and now they scored a, the opposition team scored four minutes and fifteen seconds into injury time. Yeah, it's up to the. It's a minimum of four minutes. It's up to the referee's discretion. So I'm yep. with you that I think it leads to less confusion even if it seems slightly confusion or confusing when the clock's not going but i think also there's a logistics element to it as well that like you have to transition the stadium clock. I guess you could just keep it going, but I think it's their program to stop at 45 and 90. Yeah. So then you have to make sure that you like, transition at the exact right moment and add that extra time on for a stadium that maybe yeah. isn't necessarily used to doing that, whereas it's easy to just add that like digital graphic uh, for viewers at home. So the reasons are technological, yep. confusion, yep.
0: and also it wouldn't be accurate.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All of those All things. All right.
0: Next question mm-hmm. comes from Zach Lippert. It's, I think, somewhat U.S. Men's National Team-related. Oh, you think? Um, Zach asks how hard is it to hit a diagonal crossfield ball? So often I've heard that Bradley is the only player in the pool that can hit that pass. Mm-hmm. Trap as well, right? Um, but it seems like long switches of play should be in most central midfielders lockers. Is this an indictment of our central midfield talent that not enough players can hit that diagonal pass well?
1: Okay, so a couple of things here. Um, I would add first off that it's not just the diagonal ball when we're talking about Michael Bradley. It's specifically how he hits it into a very tight space that makes a big difference. But before I even get into that, I would add that we should have players who can play that long diagonal ball, but if you go and watch, a lot of times long and is like the operative word there, that it's high up in the air, it's floated, it's lofted, it's easy to cut out, it's easy for defenders to make a play on. Which is
0: why it's so hard to get
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. So, Bradley's sort of driven ball that is able to like sit up or like like into a very tight like five yard space for a fullback running onto it, when you see him hit it there'll be those moments where you're like, oh, that's definitely going into bounds. It's definitely going to be a throw It's definitely going to be a goal kick. There's no way, oh, no, it held up perfectly yeah. and the defender brings it down. That's what I think he is so adept at but it's not even that he can do it and no one else can it's that i think he can do it sort of naturally it's a thing he looks for that's right it. now i think that's it yeah and-
0: I, I can hit a diagonal crossfield ball mm-hmm. you can hit a diagonal crossfield ball but i think maybe me more than you it would take me a couple of seconds at yeah. least to like settle the ball think about it Get the confidence to hit it, all that kind of stuff, and I think you could say the same for Tyler Adams, mm-hmm. right? It would take him longer to hit a diagonal crossfield ball accurately than it takes Michael Bradley because he just does it because Bradley just does it naturally. Yeah, I
1: mean, like, like this is obviously an extreme oversimplification, but you could probably go out right now and hit a golf ball okay. But if you play golf, could ball, not. okay, I could hit a soccer ball
0: okay. I could not hit a golf
1: all ball. Right, okay. Well, some people. I'll put myself in. I, I haven't played golf in a very long time. I feel like I could go out and hit a golf ball decently okay. All right, but it's not a thing where I know like perfectly exactly. How to do it in the moment. I can feel it. I have the rhythm and I just swing right through and hit it perfectly. You can get there eventually, maybe, but Michael Bradley, I think, can already do that right now, and I think more to the point, there's a couple different things that Berhalter wants Bradley to do, that he can do, that other players cannot right yet, so Bradley is in that kind of core squad until other players come along who can do those things just as well, and then other things even better, and that's when I think we see Michael Bradley start to get phased out.
0: Yeah, and Bradley's what, 31? We can phase him out mm-hmm. over a few years, yeah. right? don't Let's not be in a rush to get rid of Michael Bradley. No. Uh, what about Zach's idea that um, it's an indictment of our central for talent that not enough players can hit that pass well.
1: Um, I I see where that perspective comes from but for me it's more about like other players can do that but like say it's Tyler Adams in that number six role he's not necessarily doing that for RB Leipzig it's not a thing that he's necessarily doing in his day to day career so maybe when he gets the ball he's looking to kind of keep it on the floor or play 10 and 15 yard balls but if Burhalter wants him to play that ball over the top I'm sure one day he can do that yeah. but I just think of it as like it's not what he's naturally inclined to do right now so it takes him actively thinking about it and learning how to do it whereas maybe Berhalter 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 wants to try five other things in this game and he just needs somebody in there who can do that one thing naturally that doesn't require coaching.
0: I'd also add, I don't disagree with any of that, I'd also add that there's also a bigger picture thing of Berhalter is the first US coach to say, we're going to play this Dutch-style system mm-hmm. that has this controlling midfielder that you need big diagonal balls from. This hasn't happened at like U17, U20, U23 level. We haven't been asking for these types of players. No. right? We haven't been saying this is a player that is always central to what the U.S. does. That's probably why there just aren't so many of them. Right. So, right, it's why you can't like rattle off 10 players who can hit big diagonals regularly because they're just not asked to do it.
1: No, they're yeah. not. And Maybe and, they
0: can, but they're not asked to do it so we don't see them do it.
1: Right. right? It, uh, and I don't disagree with anything you said. And my final point then... <laughs> <Are> we agree <laughs> with that. We are... Yeah. Um, you you missed me, is that why? A little bit, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Plus, you're, you're wearing a nice shirt. You look good. It makes me. It's just you see more trustworthy. I went to the Ledbury. Work, yeah, so. when you when you're wearing like the loose neck t-shirt, I don't know if I can trust you. <laughs> um, my my final thing would just be that, like so shallow. I, I, you know, I am who I am, Daryl uh, Bradley. Like I. I am saying this completely without looking at any statistics, but I struggle to think of times when Bradley plays that ball and it consistently goes out of bounds. It is not to me like Bradley hits that one out of every four times or yeah, one out yeah. of every five times. I think he's pretty good at doing it regularly, whereas I think if you had another midfielder come in and try to do that, they'll get there eventually. But similar to my golf analogy, but in the meantime, they'll slice a few and miss hit a few and over hit the green. Yeah, And then you don't have that over kind it, of it, natural it. pattern of play that you would if, if Michael Bradley's in there.
0: Well, we have another question on a similar topic. Right. Are you ready? It's from mm-hmm. Matt R. He didn't want to give his second name, so he knows it's a controversial question. Maybe. That's fair. Um, Matt R. asks, is there a difference between a ball-pinging six, the Michael mm-hmm. Bradley role, and a ball-pinging centre-back like Abby Camper on the U.S. women's national team? And second mm-hmm. part of the question, if the U.S. men's national team had a Camper style centre-back, who could hit those pinging diagonal balls, would that open up our options at the number six?
1: I mean, I think John Brooks can do that. I think John Brooks is more than capable of playing long diagonal mm-hmm. balls and playing driven balls into defeat. I think he, his distribution is very good. It's part yep. of the reason why Burhalter likes him so much. It's yep. part of the reason why we like him so much.
0: Zimmerman and Long, almost the same.
1: Yeah, I would agree. So I got confused there for a moment because it was Zimmerman and Long almost the same. And for some reason, I was like, is there another center back in their name? Almost. I got confused. Um, but- almost Miles Robinson. See, there we it? go. Yeah, that's, it, that's Who it.
0: Actually, we have seen evidence of him overhitting those balls. Right?
1: Yes, or so- putting too much loft on yeah, them. Yes, yeah. so
0: they're almost there, but they're not quite. Yeah. yeah.
1: The- but the big thing for me is that like John Brooks can do that, but John Brooks can't do it 30 yards further up the field. Where We've seen Michael Bradley, 30 yards from goal, turn and play this exact diagonal that we're talking about to the corner flag when there's an advance. Fullback yeah. to get there. If you have John Brooks all the way at that field, it's a little bit riskier. Whereas with the U.S. Women's National Team, they're more likely to have a lot of possession and be able to commit numbers for the forward yeah. without Abidol really Campers, exposing themselves.
0: Abidal Campos over the halfway line a lot yes. of the time when she's already doing this. Yes, because right? the U.S. is so up on top mm-hmm. of teams. Yeah, yeah. sorry, and, and,
1: and even then, it's like they've got numbers in the middle. They've got like they can play through the middle if they want to. They use that ball almost as a like. Like third tier option of like, yeah. okay, this didn't work and this didn't work. Now I'll play that long ball out to the person who's standing on the touchline. Mm-hmm. The U.S. men, I don't think that's necessarily as much of their tactic. So I think having Bradley be able to pull it out when he needs to, but be able to effectively pull it out yeah. is the differentiator there for me.
0: I just think there's a really important thing here where the basis of Matt asking this question seems to be the thing we are talking about earlier about we don't have any other players who at number six can hit right. that diagonal ball. I think Matt's trying to solve the problem, right? By still having the diagonal ball, but have it come from someone else mm-hmm. so that, say, Tyler Adams or someone could play the six instead of Bradley. What I think is there's become too much focus on the diagonal ball. Yep. In that number six role. Mm -hmm. It's not just that, right? That's not the only reason that that a player plays there. That number six role for Berhalter is the um, controlling midfielder. In Italian, it would be like the regista, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just about diagonal balls. It's about controlling the tempo, short passing, setting the rhythm, just being in control of midfield and making sure that possession is maintained and that we open up space and the ball progresses. So it's not just big diagonals. It's all the other passing as well.
1: And... And I, you can't have a
0: centre-back do that. You've got no. to have a midfielder do that.
1: And and I, like, I know we talk about Michael Bradley a lot, oftentimes to defend why we still defend Michael Bradley, yeah. and I'm going to do that here. Go because for it. I think if you ask Greg Berhalter, what are the four or five things that you most want out of that number six for your national team, my guess would be that Michael Bradley ticks four or five of those boxes. Yeah. And I think the long ball... He Bold, t- lives in Canada. Shaved head. That's a big one. Dad was a national team uh, coach. Uh, that's obviously one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like... I think of it more as, like... Once got mad at Jim room. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Did he? I don't remember that <laughs> one. Or was it
0: Eric I can't remember.
1: It was probably Wijnaldum. Yeah. That feels more of a Wijnaldum <laughs> thing. Uh, but for Bradley, I think it's like... It, it's because Berhalter talked about it this week in the press conference that Nip Trapp and Bradley around. can play... I'm not acknowledging these anymore. Uh, Trapp and Bradley can play these long diagonals, and I think people focus on that because he yeah. explicitly stated that. Yeah. But I, I bet if you asked him to list in, like, order of importance that's maybe like the fourth or fifth thing, if not even lower down. So it's just that Bradley can do a number of different things that Berhalter wants, and one of which is successfully pull off that ball, which might be seventh on the list. But if you're going all the way down to number seven and you're still doing it the way the coach wants, then that's why you're still going to be there.
0: I think that's exactly it. And I think maybe the diagonal ball is just the most noticeable yeah so that's the one that uh it's the one behelter goes to when someone asks him because Mm -hmm. it's like an easy example to give because then it sort of passes the eye test right you can watch a game and Bradley does that and you're like oh yeah there it is but there's lots of other little passes short medium passes that are just as important for playing that holding midfield role
1: and final point is that uh Greg Berhaler doesn't care if he lived in Italy he cares if he lived in Germany (laughs) that's that's what he wants out of that central midfielder so he's fine there (laughs) there it is see (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: many more questions to come Mm -hmm. today uh About five or so. Uh, But first, today's Total Soccer Show, which
1: is the podcast you're listening to...
0: Is sponsored. <laughs> you by said that like you
1: weren't entirely sure it was. I like to check. Right.
0: Uh, is sponsored by Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh is America's number one meal kit. You get easy, seasonable recipes. recipes excuse mm-hmm. me, and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy.
1: There we are, uh, and they provide step-by-step recipes with pre-measured ingredients, so you'll have everything you need to get a wow-worthy dinner on the table in just wow-worthy. 30 minutes. And I want to, I want to emphasize that for a moment because I've talked. Uh, recently many times how excited I am to have my wife is working again dual income hooray um, <laughs> but it is the case then like she brought this up yesterday that it's harder to have especially like we've, we've talked about maybe theoretically possibly potentially one day possibly having children um, and we've talked about like if I she's working I love your
0: commitments yeah
1: no uh, but, she, but she was talking yesterday about like if we have kids and I'm working and you're working like how do we have time to come home and make dinner and I think it is about like simplifying the recipes simplifying your approach you can't make yeah. an elaborate many 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 step Dinner, unless you have, say, a recipe card that explains how to do those steps succinctly, so yes. you can get that meal on the table as quickly as possible. So
0: there'll be less trips to the grocery yeah. store, fewer trips to the grocery store. Thank you, um, Excuse me. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, worked but, out well for him, right?
1: And then with <laughs> with what I'm talking about, also they have like like different uh, different plans. You have the family recipes, calorie smart recipes, vegetarian ones. So if you want to be like vegetarian and family. Then they've got you covered.
0: It's perfect. (laughs) And you don't get stuck in the rut, Mm -hmm. which is, honestly, if you have, from what I understand, if you have kids... And you both have jobs, and you're both coming home from work and having to get chicken stuff nuggets done, and fries. You can, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you can just Hot get dogs. into what's the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that my frazzled brain yep. can manage to do? But if you open up a HelloFresh box, yeah. it's almost like someone's walking you through it, giving you all the ingredients. That's how you get out of the rut.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think even like you know colorful pictures. You give the kid, you put, put yeah, them on I'm a happy
0: looking yeah. Cards, right? yeah,
1: and you you put your you set your kid on a stool in the t- in the kitchen, and then they can like check off as you go, and now they've got <laughs> yeah. responsibility. They're taking ownership of the meal. You're teaching yep. them responsibility. It's check meal. Yeah, the box you have to cook it
0: um, you can also easily change your delivery days uh, your food preferences you can even skip a week um, if you need to say you go on vacation for a week and you don't want the box
1: I can't believe it's taken us this long to get a Chekhov's gun reference <laughs> into this show I'm kind of shocked by that uh, but what I'm also shocked by is what kind of a discount uh, HelloFresh will offer are you are really
0: shocked this is like the 20th time we've read this it still
1: kind of blows my mind it's a lot of money uh, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and enter the code TSS80 ooh what was that? That again, uh, one more time that's hellofresh.com/slash TSS 80, and the promo code is TSS 80 for 80 dollars off your first month of Hello Fresh.
0: Thank you to Hello Fresh for sponsoring today's Total Soccer Show.
1: Agreed. Next question comes from Greg Slater who asks, Ooh, It's a long one. Oh boy, <laughs> take a deep breath before <laughs> right, you I'm gonna it. prepare. <sighs> okay, <laughs> uh, I've watched, uh, I've just watched Sofiane Bufal receive the ball in the box for Southampton versus Manchester United. So this uh, is
0: this past weekend, I guess.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, a defender closed him down quickly so there was no open shot, but instead of passing to a teammate, he continued to try cutting a cutting move inside to get the shot off eventually shooting directly into a defender. Brian Fernandez has also been doing this a lot for the Timbers. <laughs> Does seeing attackers do this bother you as much as it bothers me and why don't coaches discourage it more?
0: I'm going to guess since Greg took the time to ask this question, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers Greg. Correct. <laughs> um, um, I understand the frustration, mm-hmm. but I also understand why strikers do it, right? They're just trying to Open up a bit of space and get a shot.
1: Away. I mean, my number one note here is shooter's going to shoot. Shooter's <laughs> going to shoot. Like, yeah, I mean, if, yeah. if that's what you've been told to do, which I think is is worth noting there, especially if your manager has told you we're prioritizing getting shots as often as we can, especially inside the box. Yeah. Then, Because there, there was the story about, like, Louis van Hall when he wanted people to take an extra touch and slow it down. But if your coach has said, like, no, once you're in the box, I want those shots then it's kind of understandable why the head would go down and it's more about I want to create an individual shooting opportunity yeah. as opposed to looking to pass around the box.
0: And I don't deeply know what Hazen is doing at Southampton, mm-hmm. but I do know it's about quick transition, yeah. so it's not going to be about slow possession yeah. builder, mm-hmm. right? Um, but just as a general principle, I, I totally get that there are players who do this. Like, say, Harry Kane is always mm-hmm. trying to just open up that bit of space and get the shot away, even when there are defenders massed in front of him. And I think as long as you have some level of success it's completely acceptable. Like yeah. A 1 out of 10 success rate is pro- actually not acceptable. <laughs> uh, 4 out of 10 I success rate point. and getting a shot on target, mm-hmm. I think is acceptable. Yeah, it's worth the risk. Right? Otherwise, was... you're just passing it around endlessly.
1: Exactly. And I think like, also for every time a person... Let me back that up. Like, basically, I think there will be times when you see that, like, this player, uh, Sofian Buffal, for example, will cut inside, get that shot off, the shot is blocked, and you'll see all his teammates who are open all looking very annoyed and, like, pointing at their feet in a, hey, I was open, you should have <laughs> passed me the ball. But you will also see that when he scores, or when that forward scores, you'll still see the, uh, the teammates around them all kind of annoyed they didn't get the ball, But then realize, oh, we scored, I should probably go celebrate. And so, like, I think there's always going to be open passing options. It comes down to, like, what the player has been told to do or what their inclination is in that moment. And I think if you sense there's a shooting opportunity, it's a thing I've experienced playing, obviously not at this level. But it's like once you feel like it's on or you feel like, if I can just cut around this defender and then get the shot off, if you think that's on, you're no longer – your brain is no longer ever thinking I'm going to (laughs) pass. It is always I'm cutting and shooting. Yeah, And the kind of pass goes out the window. It's
0: kind of worth the risk as well. I think so. Because I genuinely think you need at least one or maybe two of those players on Mm -hmm. your team. Otherwise, you're just a team passing it around in circles, right? You need someone who's willing to be a little bit selfish, take the extra risk, get the shot away.
1: Agreed. I would, I would add a key thing that you said there was a little bit selfish. Yeah. And that is where, the, where, where I do agree with Greg a little bit is when you see a player do that every single time. If they're always dribbling into a defender trying to get a shot off. If they're always sh- shooting from kind 30 of, yards right? out, something like that. During I mean, the
0: Saracen era, def- definitely, there was Julian Green would constantly yep. be just mm-hmm. looking for a, sh- a shot every yeah. single time. Yeah,
1: and I mean, it's what frustrates me about Marcus Rashford from Manchester United. It's that idea of like, if you do this... He has the si- highest success rate. Sometimes, sometimes not. Again, South Anthony didn't. Uh, But but I feel like if you're always doing the same thing and you're not executing it properly, then that's where I get frustrated. If it's the defender, if it's a forward cutting inside every single time to the point where the defense knows it's going to happen and they just wait and they just poke it away, then yeah, that's where I start to think, okay, you got to diversify a little bit, my friend, or you got to look to pass one or the other.
0: Anything else to say on this before we move on? No, I'm good. All right, I think we answered. All right, right, Patrick Delaney. Mm -hmm. Patrick Delaney has a question that I kind of didn't want to ask because it makes Wolves fans look bad, Yeah. but here we go. Yeah. Patrick Delaney says, in the Everton v. Wolves game, there were Wolves fans singing Sign On at Everton, and some people were very mad about that. (laughs) What is the history of this song, and why does it make people so angry?
1: So obviously Daryl is going to know the intricacies of this way better than I. Uh, I will give you my... Approximated summary slash basic understanding as I have it, okay. Which is essentially, it's it's it seems to be Liverpool. I think going back to the eighties and maybe like economic downturn, seemed to be the city that was maybe most hit or most publicly hit. um, And national,
0: um, it was twice the unemployment rate nationally. The national unemployment rate in Liverpool, it was double. Oh wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for those
0: who don't know, Everton is within Liverpool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. This is why you're here. Uh-huh. Um, Let's go to Merseyside. But like I remember, there were like uh, Man United fans chanting about like hubcaps, like stealing hubcaps and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I think it always goes back to like basically making fun of a city for like essentially having poverty issues. And in this case, sign on. I'm assuming is relates to like benefits or government. Yeah. Uh, whatever. It's so it's signing on to the dole. Mm-hmm. It is
0: literally if you're unemployed, you have, you have to go to the Department of Social Services mm-hmm. and you have to. Fill out a form requesting unemployment benefits, mm-hmm. and you'd sign it. Yeah. So it's referred to as signing on. Yeah. Right. And then the obvious thing is, um, so, sorry. If you had more to say, I can. I would back just up say before it's, I, it's before just, I go into full information mode.
1: It's like I'm, not, I'm not genuinely not trying to take a shot here, but it would be the equivalent of like making fun of Pistons fans because their yeah. city like went bankrupt, and so it's sort of like, oh, yeah. you're poor, is essentially the joke, mm-hmm. which is right there. See how hard Daryl laughed at that hilarious joke? Exactly.
0: There we go. Yeah. Um,
1: it's dumb, is what I'm some saying.
0: Some extra like, um, context for this mm-hmm. is sign-on is sung to the tune of walk-on, yeah. walk-on with hope in your mm-hmm. hand. and sign-on, sign-on with a pen in your hand, yeah. um, is what people Which used to Which is sing. kind
1: of dumb, because it's like, how the hell else are you going to sign? Well,
0: yeah. well, I think it was to mirror the <laughs> yeah. lyrics of You'll Never Walk Alone, right? Yeah. And the, the genesis of this is, in the 80s, like you said, there was this weird disparity where Liverpool Football Club were the best team in England. Yeah. Like, through the 70s and the 80s, they were just undoubtedly, like far and away, the best team. So if you're singing songs at the opposition, you can't sing songs about how Peter Beardsley can't dribble Mm-mm. or John Barnes can't crush or Ian Rush can't score because yeah. Liverpool are destroying everybody. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have a, like, um, an attack on the other team the only thing that you could do to attack Liverpool and the city of Liverpool was to sing about unemployment in that city.
1: Uh, as do you as, know what I'm saying? As the like, seminal cinematic masterpiece Bring It On uh, taught us, there was the cheerleader chant of, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us someday, or you're going to pump our gas someday. Right, it's Similar kind of Similar like thing, it's like, that, like if you're yeah. losing, you attack them for a different way. Yeah, Exactly, yeah, because
0: there's no way to actually attack the football team because mm-hmm. they're probably winning 3 now.
1: Also, uh, <laughs> Kirsten Dunn's best movie.
0: Yeah, but it's also worth noting that, like, I mean... Liverpool was in economic mm-hmm. trouble in the 80s like the docks were closing the loads of I think I read actually was really reading a, a photography exhibit of like stuff in Liverpool in the 80s and it said that 80,000 manufacturing jobs were lost between like 72 and 82 80,000 so that's like factory jobs uh, jobs on the dock on the docks things like that mm-hmm. if you go to Liverpool now Liverpool has like had this massive economic resurgence the docks are now full of like museums and cafes and it's it's just a, a much different looking city than it was in the 80s so it's such an Old, like, mm-hmm. fashion thing for Wolves fans to be singing. I mean, one, it's just mean, right? There's mm-hmm. no, it's not good at all, and two, it's completely out of date and completely unoriginal. So this is one of those times where I absolutely stand against those away Wolves fans. Um, I've, I've had some bad experiences with away Wolves fans that I've not, in, I've not enjoyed their behaviour on certain trips that I've been on, uh, uh, it's, in, it's, including it, this one. It tends to be from my. Oh, sorry, pers- I was on this trip, but you know what I'm saying. I, I got gotcha. you.
1: Yeah. But from my perspective, I feel like it tends to be that the away fans in Premier League games are simultaneously like the best fans because they're the ones who are going to be most like hard. Hardcore, sing the whole time, be really into it. Yeah. But also, that then lends itself to being the worst fans at the yes. same time.
0: Yeah, because you're willing to go places where other fans
1: exactly, go. exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, So there you go. That's the context of sign-on and Mm -hmm. also why you shouldn't do it. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) It's it's cheap. Um, Let's do one more. Yeah, one more question. Good idea. Michael Um,
1: Jin, I believe it's my question. Uh, It feels like this transfer window was full of huge stars looking for moves that couldn't get them done. Uh, Has the bubble finally burst on transfer market prices, or did we just have an oddly high number of undesirable superstars this time around?
0: I think if we have to choose A or B, has the bubble finally burst on transfer market prices, or did we just have an oddly high number of undesirable superstars? I would go A.
1: I go C. C. Neither is All my right. answer. Yeah.
0: Well, let, let me let me sure. give my rationale yeah. first, which is I think with a lot of um, a lot of the players that you think of, say Neymar is obviously a big one, wanted to leave PSG. Uh, there was ru- like strong rumours that Barcelona were after yeah. him. In the end, Barcelona literally couldn't afford the two hundred million or so euros it would have taken to get Neymar because they'd mm-hmm. already spent money on Griezmann and on Frankie de Jong and I think some other. Players. Yeah,
1: um, I read a great story by Julian Laron. I think they spent like thirty million on a, on a new keeper. So yeah,
0: uh, I was reading a story for ESPN by Julian Laron um, about why the transfer failed, and it's essentially that, that um, he argues that they just in the end didn't have the money. By
1: the way, I don't know if it was thirty million. Barca fans, please don't email us.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, they tried a part exchange with this yeah. man Dembélé. Dembélé was like, "I'm not going to Paris. No. <laughs> I play for Barcelona." Uh, so I, I think in the end, like you could say the transfer market bubbles burst because. The top end players have just actually become, in some cases, unaffordable. Yes. Like Gareth Bale's wages mm-hmm. are unaffordable. That's why he couldn't really go anywhere else, right?
1: Yes. So I agree with everything you said. It's just that, like, I don't mean to be difficult, but I take issue with the the like the has the bubble burst because no, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, like to your point, Barcelona spent as much money as they possibly could, which yeah, is yeah. still. Hundreds of millions of, of euros. Mm-hmm. Like at at that point, no, there's still plenty of money to be spent, so the bubble hasn't necessarily burst. But I think prices but have it's gone come up against some edges, right? Which yeah,
0: means that you can't get Griezmann and a young right. and the mystery new goalkeeper and Neymar <laughs> yeah. all in one summer. I
1: mean, and there's there's a couple other ones. They've, they had a busy summer, Barcelona, but I think it's like it's somewhere kind of in between with the options that we were given from Michael and then a few other factors because I think fina- financial fair play is a huge part of that mm-hmm. as well as just the rapid like inflation I guess or how quickly the prices have gone up that it used to probably be like yeah it was a lot to spend 100 million in a window but you could buy three very good players for 30 million and yeah. it was like yeah that's not that big of a deal now you're buying one player for not even 90 million it's a lot harder to then go out and buy a couple more yeah. it Resident basically for
0: 125 blows my mind yeah. yeah
1: yeah exactly so i mean and, that, I,
0: and I think he's really good <laughs> But it's just a lot of money.
1: It's a lot of money. And it establishes the precedent as well. And so I think if you don't want to keep that precedent going, if now suddenly Barcelona are only signing 100 million pound players every window, then people start to ask for more money and it becomes harder and harder. Yeah. So I definitely think that's part of it. But I also think another weird element is how often these types of transfers, the bigger transfers, even smaller ones, come down to like almost a domino effect of like this team wants to buy this player, but they need to offload this player first, so they yeah. want to offload them to this team, but that team can't buy that player until they offload their player. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes when that domino gets stuck, those transfers get stuck. And I yeah. do think that happened here. That There was a, a moment when it was like, I did this the other day when I was going to do like a transfer quiz with you, when I think I tracked it like seven moves down of like, Barca want this player, but they have to sell this player. That team wants that player, but they have to sell this player. You can go all the way down, and it's a lot of big names in there that kind of factor into the equation. Yeah. And I think if that... Domino doesn't start to fall, then that logjam occurs.
0: There we go. Yeah, I think that's the correct answer. Yeah. And just there's there's just so much money that Mm -hmm. also just becomes unaffordable to spend over the odds, right? Yeah. uh,
1: Yes. Yes. And my final note on that with, like, spending over the odds is that you can – You can justify it when it's certain types of players who you feel like either you're PSG and you want to make an impact, so we're going to spend a ton of money to get Mbappe. And Neymar, who at that time was, I would say, the third best player in the world, in my opinion. And so you got to kind of shell out some money to get this incredibly exciting young French player from your kind of closest rival in terms at that point with Monaco. And then with Neymar, you've got to kind of spend a ton of money to get him there. But I think now Neymar is not that same Neymar. And so – are you going to spend as much money as you would have to get in a guy who has been erratic and been injury-prone and hasn't always looked like the most committed?
0: Probably not. So do you think maybe there's an element on Barca's part where, I don't know, maybe they could have gone and got some big loan or something, but they're looking at Neymar and thinking... Do you really want to spend 200 million on this guy? Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, Graham Ruffin, when he was on the show, made the point that like Barcelona can print money. They can go out and sign any sponsor they want for any rate they I mean, want. They can
0: print money, but,
1: I to <laughs> but Barcelona can go out. They could easily <laughs> do what Manchester United do. They could easily sign a like Japanese noodle sponsor for 50 million <laughs> and a couple of those, and you're able to afford Neymar. It comes down to <laughs> the Neymar noodle sponsor. I mean, that's the way to do it, and they have that ability because they have that brand. But then do you want to do that? Do you want to kind of risk the financial, financial fair play investigation for a player who, again, would have to drop a lawsuit against you to, to come back?
0: Been a little bit injured the last yeah, year That's what I'm saying,
1: yeah. yeah. And and yeah, there's commitment issues as well in there. Doesn't always oh, yeah, always
0: making his sister's birthday parties exactly. It seems very important. Yes,
1: yeah. so <laughs> I think that also explains it because Neymar is a is a strange case. So too is Gareth Bale with that with yeah. that in mind. And that's another one who didn't move.
0: Um, who else didn't move? Christian Eriksen, I would put on the list. Maybe as someone who it seems like was going to move, mm-hmm. and maybe even Pochettino, I thought was going to move, and then in the end, no one came right. in for him, as yeah. far as I can tell.
1: Uh, or at least like not publicly to the extent that. We ever heard yeah. about it? Yeah, well, not with an
0: offer the Spurs wanted to accept. Right, to put it that
1: way. Yeah, and then uh, Pogba, I think, was the other one you mm. you mentioned before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. so what? That... Pogba
0: to Real Madrid yeah. was strongly rumored all through last season. Apparently,
1: he was like on the short list of like the three or five players or whatever th- that Zidane wanted guaranteed before he would sign back Do on. Think,
0: is that part of your domino theory that maybe if Real Madrid had been able to offload, say Gareth Bale, then maybe there's yes. more Pogba money? Yeah. yeah, I
1: think Gareth Bale w- was an issue, and then I think just like there seems to still be some discontent between Zidane and Perez and mm-hmm. everything that's going on with Real Madrid and so I feel like maybe it just wasn't a a unified like you know this seems like like Barcelona for example like they even if there's questions about Valverde it's a very like unified front in terms of this is how we are we win titles we're very all together if madrid had had that a bit more if it were like coming off of yeah we've just won three champions leagues in a row zidane is apparently somehow the best manager in the world we're we want to bring in paul pogba i think that is much more alluring than yeah. like yeah we've kind of had some downturn lopetegi didn't work zidane's coming in but then uh, there's still some feuding and we got to get rid of some players and we brought in hazard like yeah. it makes it harder i think for I sure can
0: they bring in hazard yeah. but
1: that's the other thing again sorry to keep this going but like like Barcelona had already brought in Graysman. like that's a huge yeah. signing. Real Madrid had already brought was
0: one of the most like, treasured players. Yeah, going. Yeah.
1: He, he's like going another eighty million or something like that. Yeah, maybe it's not that much. I forget, but like he's like seventy five. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> and so that, right there, there's two huge signings. Madrid had already signed Eden Hazard. That's a lot of money. You look at some of the other like young players they brought through that still cost them a lot of money. Yeah. so they're still spending. It's just you can't sign as many players so if you're going to spend that much. Is it,
0: our expectations are too high of what these big clubs should do in terms of spending? Yeah. Like, Signing Hazard for like a hundred million is already like that should be it right that should yeah. be your Christmas shopping mm-hmm. done
1: it should be I, I think that's what's confusing is that money simultaneously buy five more presents <laughs> which all are equally expensive somehow yeah. but it's like money has no meaning but then also simultaneously is incredibly important that like you can buy a player for one hundred and twenty million euros that seems insane but also at the same time they're like oh yeah but then we can't afford anything else but also we can but we really can't it's just this strange like i think nobody knows entirely spending it
0: all on duolingo for gareth bow
1: exactly who then won't take it, and it will sit uh, unused and unupdated on his phone?
0: Matt Doyle has learned Spanish faster than Gareth
1: Bale. He certainly has. <laughs> There's somebody else who, <laughs> congrats
0: like, to Matt Doyle, by the way. I really um, enjoyed his tweet saying that he'd got to a certain level on Duolingo. I'm sure somebody the will terrorized him enough to get
1: <laughs> good. somebody else did that recently, though. I forget who it was that they like learned Spanish through just Duolingo, like a player, like yeah. a famous player did that, like just learned Spanish by doing Duolingo, like all the time. And I forget kinda, who it was. I'm kind of tempted. Yeah. How impressed would you be if I one day came in the office and was talking Spanish? Mucho. Mucho. (laughs) (laughs) What if
0: I did a a podcast with the Cooligans and we just started speaking Spanish and we left you out?
1: I would be very surprised. (laughs) <laughs> that is my answer to that question oh. we do have speaking of we do have uh, a couple more questions to get to as well yeah. as some scouting but first we should get to today's sponsor yeah Roughneck Scarves
0: Roughneck Scarves our official. oldest sponsor friends they are mm-hmm. right not because they're old but Mm-mm. because they've just been around a long time they sure have. with us um, they are the official scarf providers of US Soccer correct. Major League Soccer correct. USL still correct. and the NCAA also correct um, they also let you make your own custom scarf. do they so now if you want to like Fundraise for Mm -hmm. a thing you've got going on, or for someone else, you can have a scarf created on their website. Then you buy it, they ship it to you, and you can just sell it, and and then you uh, phase three is profits.
1: Phase three profit, mm-hmm. uh, and as we stage
0: three, I can't remember if it's phase or stage with the. You know, Fa- I think it's under phase under three. Under
1: three. I think all
0: right. Um, so we phase one. yeah phase one. Phase we two, phase put three. out the yeah, tweet. Sorry, I derailed us. Um, we put out the tweet. It's the
1: third time we've referenced underpants and omes in the last week. By it's the probably way. the
0: hundredth time on the show. <laughs> yeah, um, we put out a tweet. If you were to design a custom roughneck scarf to <laughs> represent your prediction for tonight's USAV Mexico game. What would it look like? Mm -hmm. We got all kinds of answers, Taylor, but we can't read them all
1: out. We did get many. Man, so many that I'm now having to scroll back through them all because (laughs) uh, there are many, 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 many to get to. All right, I'll
0: get us started then. Um, Steve Renard, Steve Renard who we met at the Audi Field, right, um, said his custom scarf would have Dest in a USA jersey and a happy Twitter bird on one side, Dest in an orange jersey and a sad, mutinous Twitter bird on the other.
1: Similar vein there. I missed a chance
0: to say angry bird, I feel like.
1: Uh, that, that's copyrighted. We can't say that. We're going to bleep that out. Uh, Jose Lopez, similar vein. An image of Dutch coaches wearing orange, looking over the stadium wall, stealthily scouting Dest, with Dest being the only U.S. men's national team player not wearing a crest. Uh, meanwhile, I guess on the other side, uh, Greg Burhalter holding the missing crest and trying to give it to Dest, but over Dest's shoulder is Jonathan Gonzalez. That's
0: a lot of details. a
1: lot of details. That's
0: a lot of details. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Dest so far in the answers. Um, I'm going to go to one from Totally Not J.R. Smith, mm-hmm. who had a nice simple idea for a, a USA Mexico scarf a two on one side and a zero on the other side. And as Matt Doerr would know that's dos on one side a zero on the other side.
1: <laughs> uh, where should we go next? Should we do rapino Noir? Do you like that one? I haven't seen it but yeah right. please do. Uh, a tweet with Berhalter's lineup that inevitably starts Zardes, Trap and oh, Guzan on one side and me watching the new season of Mindhunter instead on the other.
0: I mean... If you're not committed to the national team, go ahead and don't
1: watch. Yeah, but just watch the game and then watch Mindhunter afterwards. And also, if you're not watching Mindhunter, you should be watching Mindhunter. (laughs) All right, one final one. Bill Tench might be my favorite character on television right now. Who? Bill Tench. He's one of the investigators. He's great. He's great. I like Bill.
0: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, The Hamburglar77 says, trap as Thanos, and on the other side, Uh, it says, (laughs) I am inevitable. I don't know why I find that so funny, but I do.
1: <laughs> it's funny because it's also kind of tragic.
0: Then we have uh, Captain Morales taking him down.
1: Yes, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Is is that who he is? Okay, cool. I like it's that. Like a
0: Captain Marvel pun, but it didn't quite work.
1: No, I'm good with it. Good but with also, it? I like the idea of Alfredo Morales in your mind being the most powerful being in like the known universe. I'm good with that. <laughs>
0: Well, see, he was human originally. Okay, okay. <laughs> what I'm going to do? Some movie actually. It's not bad at all. Which one? Captain Marvel was pretty good.
1: Okay, yeah. W- w- was it? Was there some thought that it was bad? Were,
0: some people were not as excited about it.
1: Well, there. That's because it's a woman.
0: I think honestly, <laughs> I think that might. Have been I, it. Oh, you
1: think? Yeah. Yes, 100. <laughs> percent I'm going to guess the people who didn't like that movie also really love that one scene in uh, the last Avengers movie when it was all the women. I'm yeah. sure that was that went over really well as well. They also
0: hate the new Doctor Who and yeah.
1: Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's yeah. so
0: predictable. Is it? Uh, it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. Less predictable is uh, all the designs that you can do with your custo- custom scarf yeah, option at Roughneck Scarves. But if you want to do a standard scarf, they have many options, as we've already said. Uh, they have a lot of international teams. It's yep. you know the international window. So if you wanted to support a team, you could get, do so there. Yep. And you could do so by getting 20% off, Daryl.
0: You can. You go to mm-hmm. roughneckscarves.com. Link will be in the show notes. Use the discount code... Total Soccer Show, all one word, Total Soccer Show. You get 20% off any scarf you purchase at roughneckscarves.com, including all those U.S. Women's National Team scarves with the players' names on them, mm-hmm. which are those officially licensed ones, right? Those The players are actually making money off of those scarves. Yay. So go get some of those.
1: Make that money. Make that like money.
0: It. Help the USWNT make that money.
1: Help them Help them do that. Daryl, uh, how many more questions? Two more to go? Two more to go. All you, right. You got I, it in you? I think it's your turn okay. to ask this one. But I yes, I do, you. sir. Yes, I do.
0: John Martin. John Martin asks... Has the new goal kick rule had a noticeable impact on the way games are played?
1: I think so. But I, I think so, mostly because I really like this rule change. Okay, so, can you explain
0: it first just in case people don't sure, know Sure, it's it essentially,
1: it used to be that uh, uh, if you're taking a goal kick, like any player, like the first time they can touch it is once it's cleared the 18. So yep. all the players have to be outside the 18-yard box uh, in order to receive any sort of pass from the goalkeeper. The new rule is that uh, the team that is taking the goal kick, their players can receive the ball inside the 18. Yep. The opposition cannot be in t- inside the 18 until the kick is taken.
0: It's made building from the back easier, right? At least the first part.
1: And I think it's also, <laughs> the bigger thing for me, Yes, it, it's definitely at least, like, helped with, with that to some extent, depending on how effectively you can pull it off. But the biggest thing is it just gets the game underway way faster because previously you've got the, the ball, kid's right there, ball goes out of bounds, kid throws it back in, goalkeeper could get it going right away, but you have to wait for everybody to get out of the box. The defense then sets up, so you have to kind of evaluate, like, who's open and who's yeah, not. and you have and, to
0: see, can I play a short pass or yeah. is it all marked up?
1: And then you have to eventually like, wave everybody forward, yeah. and then you take the goal kick. But if you're really, really, really focused on playing short then you can basically put the ball down and kick it to a person who's standing a yard away, yep. and now play is resumed. And I think that's been the most noticeable one for me. That it, uh, And the way I guess I can clock this one is that way more frequently than I ever experienced before. They will show the replay of the shot that's gone wide, that's led to the goal kick, and when they cut back, play has already very much resumed. Oh, whereas production a lot teams of, haven't caught up. No, and I think it's really hard <laughs> to because play is getting back underway so fast because I think that is a deliberate tactic, is yeah. put it back in play before the team has like, set themselves up to defend and you might get an attacking opportunity. So I think that is where I've seen the biggest uh, impact.
0: It's also perfectly timed, right, because it coincides with an era where Teams are not settling for long balls. Teams are settling. Teams are not settling for just playing it long on good right. kicks. Mm-hmm. M- way more teams than previously wants to build from the back, including the US men's national team, right? It's just not a thing we ever thought about. It always used to be Tim Howard kicks it long and then we build from there. Mm-hmm. But now it is. Like, Stefan gives it to a defender and mm-hmm. we build from there. Yeah. yeah. And, and I also like it because it immediately puts players under pressure. Yep. Because if you play it short inside the box, then the um, defenders can, the, I guess they're forwards, but mm-hmm. then the, the non-possession team can enter and challenge you. You're already in actually kind of a, a dangerous-ish situation, yeah. right? So it makes it more exciting for me because suddenly there's danger of possession being turned over. Then the defender has to do something skillful or impressive to get himself out of trouble. So it adds an element of excitement to the game from the get-go.
1: This is me nodding. This is me nodding. I agree entirely. I, I think we've answered that one. Wow,
0: all right. All right, then the f-
1: final question of this episode comes from Shreyas Romani, who asks, do you think Leicester have the squad to be a dark horse uh, top six contender this season?
0: So I was going to say no mm-hmm. to this question because I feel like the top six is always the top six. It's Man City, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, mm-hmm. in some order, right? Obviously, they want to be in the top four. If they miss out, they end up being fifth and sixth. Um, and I was sort of, we went and got coffee, right, before we started recording. And I was saying this to you, that I feel like this is obvious. There's, even if you have a really good season, like Wolves did last year, mm-hmm. if you're not one of those top six teams, you're going to finish seventh, right? Like, so like Wolves did last yeah. year. But then you made the point that Chelsea are having a wacky old season. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, Chelsea, not alone. Man United have not looked uh, very strong at all. Tottenham have, have been hit or miss at, at points this season, so I do Arsenal. You,
0: yeah, but it's only been four games, and Arsenal, True. Spurs, and Man United will still make top six. No matter what, they'll always end up there.
1: Uh, I would, I don't know if this is my fandom or whatever. I'm not sure I'm as confident as you are about Manchester United. Have they ever not made top six? Uh, yeah, I think under Mourinho or under the, the Moyes season, I feel like they've definitely finished further back. They finished it, outside the Champions League places. I think they've definitely finished outside of like maybe they barely got a Europa League okay. spot by like like fair play points or whatever. But right. yeah, they finished a decent way down in, there. In
0: my mind, even a bad season for mm-hmm. Man United or Spurs, if they finish like eighth or something, it yeah. would be just absolute catastrophe. Yeah, it just seems unthinkable to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, but like, uh, like not United, but like Chelsea have done that. Like uh, with the Mourinho, yes. his final season, they were what, in, near the relegation zone for mm-hmm. large stretches of that season. So I think. I take your point that like maybe those te- those teams end up finding their way in, but I think Chelsea is the other one that, given the transfer ban, given the lack of depth and in certain places lack of like high quality uh, for yeah, Chelsea, yeah.
0: and just the willingness to play a bunch yeah. of young players like Mason Mount and Tammy exactly. Adrian. Yeah, so
1: I think that at least that one spot in the top six is kind of up for grabs. So then it goes to Treyas' like the specifics of the question of do they have the squad, and that is probably where like it, we will have. It will be revealed, obviously, by the end of the season, but I feel like midway through we'll know how deep Leicester are because that starting 11, they've got a strong starting 11. They've got some players in there that I think Chelsea would happily start in their 11 yeah. and feel stronger for it. But do they have the depth to deal with, say, an injury to Jamie Vardy, or if Casper Schmeichel broke a finger, is their reserve goalkeeper as good as Casper Schmeichel? Can they can they weather that sort of storm? That I'm I'm less inclined to believe.
0: They do have starting eleven players that I'm really excited about. Oh yeah,
1: James Madison mm-hmm. and Ben Chilwell, Yuri uh, Tillemans. Uh, Yuri Tillemans, yeah. I've been More on him in a little bit. For a while, oh, yep. in scouting? yeah yes, sir.
0: Excellent. So yeah, they, I mean, they have high quality players, but you're right, we don't know about the depth of their squad. Mostly because we're, we're not that familiar with like, the Leicester the Leicester thirty. You know <laughs> what I mean? Speak for yourself. I, I'm impressed by, like, say, uh, Harvey Barnes, mm-hmm. this guy who was on loan at West Brom last year, who's been having some cameos for Leicester this season in the Premier League, and I think look pretty good. Mm-hmm. So there are guys like that, but I couldn't give you a list of, like, ten players that round out the Leicester squad and make an argument for or against them having a deep enough squad to finish top six.
1: Yeah, and, and so with that in mind, I think we're talking nuances here, but I think that's what makes this season really interesting to me is that, like, I think it will be Liverpool and City. Vying for the title, yeah, I do think probably Wolves, obviously. yeah, obviously I do think Tottenham and Arsenal are probably kind of safely in that conversation, and then I think it's so what, for top four. Yeah, but like you could you could make an argument to me that Wolves will finish fourth or fifth, and I probably wouldn't disagree with you. Like I, I think it's going to be much more open ended in those kind of final few European spots uh, than it's been in the past, and I think it could kind of go any number of ways depending on injuries or managerial firings or players finding their form at the right moment, and I think that's going to make it. A very compelling season in a way that i don't usually care about like the race for the top four this season i think it will be much more interesting because yeah. i think there's going to be big swings
0: also worth, we'd be remiss if we didn't note that there is that time that leicester won the premier league also that <laughs> not so long ago yeah. so to talk about them being a dark horse top six and we're asking mm-hmm. if that's even possible they finished number one yeah not so long ago exactly yeah. That's it's so crazy that that almost seems like a, a fever dream that didn't actually happen,
1: you know what I mean? I think it's I mean because the next season they went decently far in the Champions League, but yeah. it wasn't as though they were like repeating. <laughs> there was any chance yeah. that they were going to repeat. I mean they they fired Ranieri the next season. Uh-huh. So like I think that's pro- probably why it goes away because it does feel a little it bit a fairy tale one-off. Yeah, It's a fairytale one off. That's so glorious. But it feels like a fluke even though it's a fluke that lasted for 38 weeks. <laughs> 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 like that's what makes it sort of strange.
0: All right, thank you for that question, Shreyas. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everybody for today's questions. We enjoyed answering all of them. If you have a question for us, it's totalsoccershowcom slash questions. Mm-hmm. Link will be in the show notes. Click on that link, ask us a question. If you subscribe at $10 a month or more- I'm doing the show um, notes today, so I'm oh, writing that down. Yes, please do. Um, if you subscribe at $10 a month or more, we will answer one, at least one of your questions per month um, on the show.
1: And what happens if you choose to support the show at any level, Daryl? At
0: any level, you join the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. Yeah, you do. Which has been around for, what, three or four years now? It has. There are players aging out of it players who've aged out there of it, are, There section. are players
1: who have definitely aged yeah. out of it. Yeah. There are some who've retired from professional football. Also that. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Or just kind of faded away. Yeah, uh, we
0: didn't quite make it.
1: We've got many, many scouting reports to get to today. We're going to start with Brian Hoysa. We already did that one. It's Sergino Desk. You better play for the USA or I'm going to be very, very sad. <laughs> Zachary Lindquist scouting Jackson Ewell, the 22-year-old American midfielder for San Jose. Okay. Zachary says, it's difficult to write scouting reports for Ewell. Uh, his impact on games isn't often seen in goals or assists. Instead, this season, he keeps racking up passes that split five defenders Packing send, stats like you and Joe were talking yep, about. Yep, yep, and send an attacker forward. Uh, his weakness from previous seasons of failing to track runners through midfield seems to have been mitigated by Almeida's man-marking system. So I, I guess overall a very positive season and that's, I guess, kind of obviously evidenced by him being included in the squad.
0: We might see him play for the national team over go. the next uh, couple couple of weeks or so.
1: Your Uruguay feels like the one that would be most likely for yeah, that one. But some we shall appearance see. against we shall Uruguay. See. Thank you,
0: Zachary. That's a mm-hmm. really good scout report. It was. Um, Elijah Chapel is scouting Joe Willock, the 19-year-old English midfielder for Arsenal. Elijah says Willock played as a central midfielder uh, paired with Gendouzi mm-hmm. in Arsenal's 2-1 win over Burnley. He had three good passes in the final third, but his inexperience showed as Arsenal's defenders had to direct him to get further forward farther forward mm-hmm. further forward because Willick was playing oh, Stannis failed uh, because Willick was playing too close to the back line to be an outlet for pressure
1: can you, can you push your glasses up when you do that next time thank you nerd <laughs> <laughs> uh, as though I would never ever be pedantic about grammar what's
0: worse I still don't know if I was right or wrong <laughs> that's it's
1: the best part father
0: is going some measurable James
1: distance. Porter scouting Oliver Skip an 18 year old English midfielder for Tottenham no go ahead you not, Oliver Skib is the captain of the injury time substitute team. <laughs> Oliver got off the bench in the dying minutes of Spurs matches against Villa and Man City. A lone move seemed certain at the start of the year, but given Pochettino's comments about fighting hard in all competitions, uh, we may see Willock be in pole position to play as a substitute or possibly get some starts in domestic cup competitions.
0: And then further as if it's not measurable.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Danny, I will keep reading, sir.
0: <laughs> Danny Macaga mm. is scouting um, Oliver Batista Meyer.
1: I want someone to explain this kid to me.
0: The 18 year old German Brazilian. Yes. I think I should explain it to you. <laughs> yeah. Left winger for Bayern Munich. Uh, Danny says after recording one goal in four starts for Bayern 2, um, OBM, Oliver Batista Meyer, was sent to play with the U19s. Oh. In three games there, he recorded a golden assist against Kaiserslautern and another assist against Mm Hoffenheim.
1: right, well done, uh, OBM. Uh, Ira Jersey scouting Ashley Sanchez, 20-year-old American attacker for UCLA. Before I read the report, I should note, uh, if you haven't heard it or seen it or listened to it or whatever, uh, Ira did two shows with us this week, sort of. He did the Top Door Soccer show with me, where we looked at some of the the best young talents in USL League 1. Then he also did Richmond Kickers Weekly, where we got into the kicker season so far, as well as the season to come for the remaining season. So, uh, two good shows there Uh, and then Ira uh, has been a long term supporter of the show yeah and in this case has been scouting Ashley Sanchez, a 20-year-old American attacker for UCLA. Ashley had a strong start to the season, notching the Bruins' first goal of the season, a game winner against Iowa State. Uh, Ashley collected a pass about 25 yards out, took a quick uh, outside-of-the-right-foot touch to open up space, and banged a hard shot toward (laughs) the goalkeeper. Uh, She then beat four defenders to send in a low-driven cross to assist for another UCLA goal. Again, strong start to the season. Two days later, she assisted on the lone goal as the Bruins beat Long Beach State. She then got on the score sheet for the 16th consecutive game in the Bruins' 2-1 win. Over number one Florida State, uh, Ashley made an easy pass to Canadian international Jesse Fleming, who hit a screamer from about twenty-five yards out.
0: So she scored in sixteen consecutive games. I think
1: she's been on the score sheet, which means either scored or gotten an assist. I was I confused see. about that as well.
0: I see. Yeah, so you you're on the sheet if you get yeah. an assist. Okay
1: still good it's, 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 it's a weird like you're on the statistically good sheet <laughs> doesn't sound as good but is probably more accurate you're in the good books yeah ex- there we go
0: Steve Renard is scouting Yuri Tillemans the 22 year old Belgian midfielder for Leicester City never heard of him Steve says Tillemans played the full 19 Leicester's 2-1 win over Sheffield United in the 38th minute he played a beautiful part in Jamie Vardy's goal without ever touching the ball Sheffield lost the ball just inside their own half and it was headed towards Tillemans but he left it for Madison and continued his own run toward the box with Tillemans and another Leicester player drawing defenders away. Madison sent the ball through onto Vardy's foot for the goal. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Tillemans then went a step further this past weekend, <laughs> correct? notching a goal and an assist in Leicester's 3-1 win over Bournemouth. Yuri continues to get into good positions, make good passes and good decisions, and follow up on attacking plays.
1: There we are. Well done, Steve, for that scouting report. Well done, Daryl, for reading that scouting report. Uh, John Remis, uh, uh scouting Sam Rogers, 20-year-old American centre-back for the Tacoma Defiance. I often start reading the names before I've actually read the names. That gets you into trouble. Take a breath, read the name, is what I've learned. John... Ramaswamy scouting Sam Rogers. Big Sam returned from a three week trial with Belgian club Standard Liege without a deal. Uh, the two clubs could not agree on a fair value for the transfer, so Rogers will continue with the Defiance until the, for the rest of the season. That said, I think he is out of contract at the rest of the year, so he could get a homegrown offer from the Sounders or he could move abroad to seek international employment instead. International employment.
0: Mm-hmm. Scott Glack is scouting Georgia Costa, the 19 year old American midfielder for the Austin Bold. It's a USL team, right? Um, Acosta has signed with USL there we side Austin <laughs> Bold for the rest of the season. My
1: favourite aspect of the scouting oh, reports. No.
0: <laughs> he was previously with youth/reserve teams of Boca Juniors, and there was some unsubstantiated chatter that Inter Miami were interested in him. Proof that Daryl does not read ahead. <laughs> We have two dif- two different styles.
1: Every now and then you do though. Every now and then you're like fully up to date on every scouting report you've got. We've gotten, but
0: it's because I've like seen it on Twitter. It's, okay, you know, it's because you. I'm like up on the news as opposed to I've read through the scouting
1: reports. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's my favorite <laughs> tradition. It makes me happy every time. Steve Holler scouting Miles Robinson, 22 year old American forward or excuse me, center back for Atlanta United. Uh, after a standout start to the season with Atlanta United, Miles has solidified himself as a central defender in the three man backline for the Five Stripes and could soon make his debut with the U.S. Men's National Team. He sure could. He might could. He might
0: could. Robert Newman is scouting Mason Mount, 20-year-old American midfielder for Chelsea. Robert says... I made, I
1: made him American in there. That's on me. English Ooh. midfielder. English midfielder. Scouting Sorry Mason about that one. Mount,
0: yeah, unfortunately, right? it mm-hmm. be great if he was American.
1: See, this is what I get for making fun of you. I then make copious <laughs> yeah. mistakes.
0: Mason Mount, 20-year-old English midfielder mm-hmm. for Chelsea. Robert says... Mount scored his first Premier League goal in Chelsea 3-2 win over Norwich. He played on the left wing, but was still effective cutting inside and interchanging with Christian Pulisic. This is a while ago. Mm-hmm. Mount's performances to start this season earned him a call-up to his second his second ever call up mm. to the England national team for the Euro 2020 qualifiers against Bulgaria and Kosovo I'm guessing it's not Robert's fault that 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 Norris report is out of date it's our fault for not reading scouting reports fast enough
1: decent chance yeah, <laughs> yeah decent chance uh, Jaron Wright scouting Justin Glad the 22 year old American centre back for RSL Justin was named to the 24 man U23 roster for the September friendlies after being dismissed from senior camp earlier this year this is a step in the right direction for Glad who had has been getting a lot of praise from RSL fans who have noticed that the team performs much better when he's in the starting oh, 11 right.
0: so Justin Glad's on the comeback trail
1: yes Jaron did, did ask if this because Jen uh, wasn't sure if him being called into this camp would mean that he could play in the Olympics because he might be too old at that point. So we're not sure entirely on, like, birth year, birth date. That always kind of throws me off a little bit. But I would, oh. I would assume that if he's called into this camp, it means he's eligible for the Olympic team.
0: Yeah, or at least for the qualifiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so we should look into that. We
1: probably should. Um,
0: Mike and Max Altshuler are scouting John Choo Hilton, the 18-year-old American right-back for... Dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. Mike and Max say, we have Choo Choo News. Having recently turned 18, Choo Choo signed a professional contract with VC Volendam of of the Dutch Ester Divisie. That's the second tier. Um, Hilton made his first start with Volendam's U19 team on August 31st, going the full 90 in a 3 1 loss to Almere City in the Dutch
1: Cup. He's somewhere. He signed somewhere. somewhere. That's he did like, this
0: long and confusing track where mm-hmm. he couldn't get a work permit, but he was training with Dutch teams, but he couldn't sign a professional contract because of
1: employment situation. Mm-hmm. So it's
0: good that he's just finally signed a professional contract.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it probably relates to the just having turned 18. Yes. Probably was the uh, the big hurdle there. I believe that is it. I that makes sense. I believe that is
0: it. Yeah. All right. Thank you to everybody for the scouting reports. Um, if you'd like to join the Scouting Network or do the $10 a month listener listen to question thing, com slash Join, J O I N, totalsockshow.com slash join. She's spelling
1: like a champ. Is
0: the URL to go to.
1: What a baller. Thank you. You're so good at spelling.
0: T A Y L O R. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Right back at you, buddy. We'll be back later B-U-D-D-Y. tonight.
0: We'll be back later tonight to watch the G A M E. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? USA, Mexico, and review that game. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll come back and listen again tonight.